Hey, just some quick advice for you. I wouldn't advise you going up to a child anytime soon and saying to them, hey, do you want to open your Christmas presents right now? Like, I don't think that would be wise to say that to a child. I also think you shouldn't go up to a teenager and say, you know what, I, do you want a new cell phone for Christmas? I don't think you should do that because unless you're prepared to let them open their presents or you're going to buy a $1,000 phone for a teenager, you shouldn't say that to them because they're going to look at you like, what's the deal? Like, why are you asking me that? Of course I want to open my presents now, and of course I want a new cell phone. It's kind of the look they're going to give you like, why are you asking me this? It's similar to the look that if you went up to a coach and said, hey coach, do you want to win this game? Like, what kind of look are you going to get from a coach if you say, do you want to win this game? They're going to look at you and just go, you're crazy. Why are you even talking to me? Get out of my way. I'm trying to win a game. You shouldn't even ask me that. Or this afternoon you decide you want to do something really nice for the holidays. So you're going to go to the hospital and visit the ER with candy canes and give them out to someone and say, hey, do you want to get well? Hey, you're in the ER today. Do you want to get well? Here's a candy cane. Here's a candy cane. Here's a candy cane. What kind of look are you going to get? What kind of question is that? Do you want to get well? Unless you're prepared to do something about it, you shouldn't ask that question. So don't ask kids if they want to open their presents now. Don't ask teenagers if they want a new cell phone. Certainly don't ask a coach if they want to win. And don't ask sick people if they want to get well because you'll get the look and you'll frustrate people unless you can do something about it. Actually, the only one that can answer that question is Jesus. Jesus can ask people those questions. I think he might say it to kids and students and everybody. He can ask a question because he's God. He can ask a question and also deliver on whatever anybody answers whenever he wants because he's God. He's God. So the story we're going to look at today is interesting. He talks to a man who can't walk. A guy who can't walk and says to him, do you want to get well? If we asked that question, we'd get punched in the face. But Jesus can ask that question because he is God. So if you have your Bibles, let's check this out in John chapter 5. John 5 verses 1 through 15. If you have an electronic Bible on your phone, Use the NIV translation. You can download it on on the App Store. Love for you to follow along electronically. If you have a paper copy, that's great too. Just a little bit of prepping you before we get there. John 5, 1 through 15. But pretty interesting just to think about this one question for a moment. If Jesus would talk to you today, if you could have Starbucks with Jesus or Duncan or watch the game with Jesus today, and if he would say to you, do you want to get well, how would you answer him? If the Son of God would say to you, do you want to get well, how would you respond? I mean, you might be like, dude, I'm fine. I'm healthy. I don't need anything. You might be like, yeah, I, I really could use some help. You might be like, who are you, and why are you watching the game with me? Like, why are you here? Who are you? What are you doing? And what gives you the right to ask me that? And you might give him the look like. And what we're learning as we're going through the Gospel of John together, we're learning that Jesus isn't just a guy. He's not just a carpenter. He's not just a good teacher. 
He's the Son of God. And as the Son of God, when he asks a question, it's motivated by love. He loves people. It's also motivated by power. He has the authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So he can do something about what you say. And as you start to realize that, it changes how you might respond to him when he asks that question, do you want to get well? And here we're going to find in John chapter 5, Jesus is going to do a miraculous display of power. And whenever Jesus does a powerful display, when he does a miracle, he's always, yes, he's helping the person. Yes, he's performing some kind of miracle. But what he's doing whenever he does a miracle is he's putting on display his character. He's putting on display who he is as Messiah. He's showing us something more about himself. So today, as we look at this account where he's going to put on display his power, we can learn more about him when we look at him. And I want to learn more about him today. I want to know more of his character so we can sit up and learn and listen and understand more of him. John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Let's get some context here before we meet the characters. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of Jewish worship. He goes there for a party, a celebration, a festival. And that festival would take place primarily in the temple. But Jesus goes through this gate, this gate, the sheep gate, into a pool area that's surrounded by a bunch of colonnades. Maybe picture this in your mind. Jesus goes into a resort area inside this gate where there's a nice pool and a bunch of gazebos and people hanging out, sipping pina coladas, chilling, ready to take a swim. That's not really the full picture. It's really, yeah, they're waiting. Yes, they're lying around in the shade, but it's not a resort. It's actually like an ER. You see, in the ancient world, there wasn't hospitals. So where would people go if they were desperately ill? They would go to this gate. They would go into this pool. They would go there if they were sick or paralyzed or blind or lame because they wanted help. And you might think, how pathetic. But this place was unique in that it was a pool of water and Tradition was that if the pool of water, there was moments where the pool of water would shake in such a way, the water would move in such a way, that if you were the first one into the water, when that pool would shake, when the water would stir just a little bit, then you would be healed. And people over the years would go to this gate because people were healed. That was their ER. God would show up and do something, and people were miraculously healed. So it wasn't pathetic at all to go and lay there. It was hopeful and longing that maybe if I hang here, God will be merciful. Maybe he will hear me, heal me. And here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus goes up to this festival. In some ways you'd think he'd go to the temple to hang out with all the religious muckety-mucks, but he doesn't. He goes to the ER. 
He doesn't go up to the place of worship. He goes to the hospital, which tells me something about his character. The character of the Messiah, the reason he shows up, is not for people that are well, but for people that are sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, Jesus said. It's the sick people who need a doctor. So when Jesus has the opportunity to go to the hospital, he goes to this place where he can make people well. Verse 5. One guy who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked this man, do you want to get well? A guy who can't walk for decades. A man who's been lying at this pool for 38 years, and you thought you waited a long time at the ER? Like, this guy for 38 years is laying there waiting for decades and out of hundreds of people who are sick at this hospital, Jesus finds this one guy's story and asks him, do you want to get well? Really, Jesus? He's going to get the look like, why are you talking to me? Who are you? Why are you saying this? This man has no idea. Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He's been lying there for 38 years. Think of this. He can't walk. He can't move. He tries when that water moves to climb and claw his way in because if he's the first one in, maybe, just maybe, he'll get better which means he's been laying there, helpless, alone, no one to help him, trampled on by any number of people for decades. Decades. I mean, how does this guy eat? Who gets him food? If he has to go to the bathroom, how does he clean himself? He's lying there for decades, trampled on, alone. And Jesus is going to ask do you want to get well? Like, who are you talking to? Of course I want to get well, but I have no one to help me. I just lay here by the pool, hopeless and alone. He has no idea who he's talking to. He has no idea what's about to happen. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And if I'm this guy, I'm going, yeah, right. Just like you would. You'd be like, yeah, right. And in my imagination, I'm not sure, but if some random dude came up to me and I was in that situation and said, get up, I'd be like, yeah, right. I don't know who you are. What's the deal? I think, my opinion, that probably something happened in his legs where he was like, something's going on down here I've never felt before. And that's what caused him to go, okay, I'm jumping up. And he jumps up and his leg's worth. And you might go, that's not possible. If you're the God of the universe, you make water and you can change it into wine. And you can certainly make muscles fire in a leg. If you're almighty God, who has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And at once, verse 9, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked in a flash. I mean, this guy goes from helpless, 38 years alone, trampled, lying on a cushion, a mat, and now he picks up his mat and he walks. I mean, for Jesus to notice this one man, 
out of all the hundreds of people lying there poolside. For him to notice this one man, for him to do a miracle for this one man, what's he trying to do? He's showing who he is. He's identifying himself to this man, but also to us 2,000 years ago. He's putting on display his character as God. And what he's showing us is he is merciful to people who don't deserve it. This is the character of Jesus. This guy doesn't do anything to get Jesus' attention. He doesn't wave his arms and say, heal me. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. Doesn't say anything about it he believes, doesn't say anything about his faith, doesn't say anything about his catechism or his baptism. He doesn't say anything about anything. It just says, here's a guy who's helpless for 38 years, lying alone, trampled on, and the king of kings walks by in the person of Christ and notices him and says, get up and walk. Because that's just what God does. That's just who he is. He scans across the universe, across humanity, and with a heart of mercy, he cares. He notices. He loves, not based on what you do, not based on what this guy did, based on who he is as God. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's just Jesus. And the story takes an interesting twist in verses 9 through 13. Remember, Jesus is in Jerusalem for this big Jewish holiday. And in the city, all the Jewish muckety-mucks would have gathered because it's this big holiday and you have to show for this big holiday. So they are all there. And the Jewish elite are gathered around. And, and they know this guy. For 38 years, this is the guy in town. They know who he is. And they see him walking and they see him carrying his mat. And rather than connecting the dots and going, man, look at Bart over there. He's been laying down like that for 38 years. Now he's walking, that's pretty cool. Instead of saying that, all they see is his mat, his cushion, the thing he's lying on. And they do what religious muckety-mucks do. They say, hey, who told you you could do that? Like, why are you doing that? Who, told, who gave you permission? Because our laws say that on holy days like this, you can't carry that mat. You can't do that because that's what religion does, right? Don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. And they don't notice at all this man, this person who couldn't walk but now walks. And they say to him, who told you? And the guy's like, listen, I don't even know who it was. Actually, look at verse 13. It says, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowds. He had no idea. He just knew. Some guy said, get up and walk. His legs started to move, and he jumped up and walked. And yeah, he's picking up that dang mat, and he's walking. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. Of course he's doing that. But this is going to kick off a controversy that we're going to see play out over the next number of chapters, over the next number of weeks, this controversy between religious elite and Jesus, a controversy between religion and relationship, because religion is all about rules, but Jesus is all about relationships. And this is going to be a controversy between the two, because religion is about rules, relationships are about love, and love is always in colliding up against control. Religion wants to control us. 
Relationships are about love, and love doesn't control people. Love frees people. And so Jesus is going to collide with religion over the next number of chapters in the book of John. We're going to get into that over the next number of weeks. But here's the main point. This guy wasn't able to walk for 38 years. He's helpless and hopeless. Jesus helps him, cares about him, is merciful to him. And now the story takes another weird twist. Verse 14. Later, Jesus found this man at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. He finds him and says, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Wow, Jesus, that's kind of an interesting thing to say. Why would you, in this moment, be so gracious and merciful? This guy didn't do anything to deserve it. You're just kind to him, and you, you make him walk again. And now, when given the opportunity, you look at the same guy and go, dude, you know, you were laying in a heap on the ground over there just a few minutes ago. I was the one that made you walk, stop sinning, or something worse. Can you imagine what that made that guy think? If the dude that just made your muscles fire and you got up and walk says to you, hey, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you, I bet you you sit up, don't you? And go, oh my goodness, what does that mean? And we say the same thing, like, Jesus, what do you mean? Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you? What does Jesus mean by that? What's he talking about? Now remember, Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus has this incredible way, we've seen it throughout the book of John, of pinpointing someone's issue. And as the Son of God, it seems to me there's something in this man's life, some sin, some way he's being rebellious that may have caused or contributed to why he wasn't able to walk. And Jesus is putting his finger on that. Now, Jesus can do that because he's God. I can't. So when I go around putting my finger on people's problems and calling it out and saying, that's sin, you better know what you're talking about before you say that, unless you're God. Then you can say that. So he pinpoints something, but in a much broader way, I think when Jesus stops and says to this man, stop sinning, something worse may happen to you, when he says it to him, and we hear it as well, he's doing something that he does often. Jesus wants us to lift our eyes up. He wants you and me, he wants this man to lift our eyes up past what's happening in the immediate to that which is eternal. You see, we get so fixated on the immediate. This man is fixated on the immediate. I wasn't able to walk, now I can walk. And now everything is great. And Jesus is going, yeah, I'm so glad you can walk, but You've got a bigger problem, son. You're a sinful human being. And that, left unchecked, will cause you far worse problems than laying poolside. There's so much more. Jesus is trying to point out that the problem of sin separates us from God now and forevermore. So this man now can walk but someday he will take his final breath, and while he may be able to walk, if he stands before God sinful, he will be separated from God forever. So yeah, you can walk now, but there's a bigger sickness, Jesus is saying, and I care about the whole thing, the big picture. 
He came to provide a way for all of us to be healed from our greatest sickness, that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, we can be forgiven of our sins. Jesus opens up a way for all of us to walk into the presence of God forgiven. And he's drawing our attention up. So when he says stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, it's his way of saying, dude, you were laying there physically on your back. You couldn't help yourself. You had no hope. And I came along and I lifted you up. Son, you've been laying on your back in sin also, and you have no way of helping yourself up, but I can walk along and with mercy reach out my hand, the one who had spread and died and rose again, and pick you up and restore a relationship with the God of the universe. We have no indication what this guy does with all of this. One minute he can't walk, next minute he can. And the man who healed him said, sin, be aware of sin. Be aware of the things that separate you from God, that without outside help, you will be paralyzed forever. He offers this to this man, and I would imagine this guy interacts with this conversation and replays it in his mind over and over and over again. If Jesus asked you, do you want to get well, how would you answer him? If Jesus would ask you if you want to get well, I think foremost we'd all go physically. We'd think about physical healing. But this is so much broader than physical healing because when John writes this question, he says, do you want to get well? That word well really means whole. He really means, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be completely and entirely at peace? Do you want to be integrated in every possible way, healthy and complete. You see, we may think about the physical, but what about ourselves emotionally? What about ourselves mentally? What about ourselves relationally, financially, occupationally? Most of us would answer, yeah, I want to be whole. I want to be at peace in all of these areas of life. We tend to totally overlook spiritual health. See, our world doesn't tell us anything about the fact that we have souls that will never die, that we're created to live forever, that this life will end, and then what? We don't spend any time thinking about that except one hour a week on Sundays. Maybe we come to church. But the greatest reality of all of our lives is that we will live forever. We were created in the image of God to live forever. Jesus wants us to think about that. And he offers to us forgiveness and hope. Do you want to get spiritually well? Do you want to be at peace? Because spiritual wholeness is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is only found by faith in Christ's life and death and resurrection. Many of us have tried religion. We've tried all kinds of spiritual things. And honestly, it leaves us flat on our back, looking up, going, is there anyone that can help me? We're just like this guy. Tried all kinds of things on our own to get well, asked other people for help, and we're left flat on our back, laying there, wondering, can I ever find peace with God? Is there forgiveness available to me? Same is true. It's for all of us that no human tradition, no rules, no good behavior can make us spiritually well only faith in God's one and only Son. 
So today you might feel like you're flat on your back spiritually and no way of getting help. You know what? In some ways you're in a good place because what the Bible says is that if you declare with your mouth, Romans 10, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If you know you're spiritually sick and you realize you've tried everything to get well, but you've got nothing and you're still flat on your back, then you call out to Jesus. It's no magic wand. You don't need a priest. You don't need anyone to help you. You go right to God the Father through his Son, and you receive grace and mercy and peace and forgiveness that starts now and goes forevermore. You can walk today with the God of the universe from this moment into eternity and forever by faith in Jesus' one and only Son. And watch the peace. Watch the peace that will flood your heart. Many of us have called on Jesus. We've felt that peace that passes all understanding. It's come inside us. We know with confidence that we're sons and daughters of God. But still, Jesus asked the same question today. Do you want to get well? Because just because you're a Christian or a Christ follower doesn't mean you are well. Maybe you're well spiritually, and that when you take your final breath, you'll be with God forever. That's incredible, but God wants to change you in the here and now. Are you well? When was the last time you asked yourself this diagnostic question? Am I well? Am I whole? Am I at peace? Are there areas that I'm not well? Are there areas that I'm not whole? Are there areas that I'm not at peace? You see, we don't, we don't want to ask the question. We don't want to take that time to think because we're afraid of what we're going to see. And we're going to be afraid that if I see something about myself, what do I do then? So we don't take inventory of our lives. And we just get all comfy going, well, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm a Jesus follower instead of going, he wants to change me now, now. So we don't ask the question, we don't look in the mirror, because we don't want to see the fact that you, son of God, you, daughter of God, comfort eat, use alcohol, use drugs to make yourself feel better and numb out from life. You, daughter of the king, binge, starve, exercise like crazy, because that's the only thing you can control. You ignore clear commands in the Bible about your sexuality or entertainment, but you don't want to look at that. When you stop and look at yourself in the mirror and take inventory, you realize that you're living under abuse and you have been abused and are continuing to be abused. That you, daughter of the king, are enabling someone to live a sinful lifestyle. Son of Almighty God, enabling and empowering someone to live in a way that's not right. That if you would take inventory of your life, you see that life revolves around you and you are so incredibly self-centered and you're a martyr and you think everybody's out to get you and you're wah, 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 everybody hates me. Son or daughter of the king, you comfort yourself with that thought. You're afraid to look at your spouse, your parent, your child, your loved one because you know things shouldn't be this way. They don't need to be this way. You find when you look at yourself in the mirror, you've been running too hard, too long, and you've got nothing to give. 
Maybe if you took time to stop and say, am I well, am I whole, you're gonna find out you're a racist, you're a bigot, you harbor hate against other people, you're unwilling to forgive someone, although you've been forgiven in incredible ways, you're holding back forgiving someone else, but you're afraid to look in the mirror because if that would be true about you, what would you do? Hear this, the God of the universe knows that about you already and simply says, don't you want that to get well? I'm here to make you whole, not just eternally. He cares about us holistically. And yes, when I see him face to face, I will be made well in every possible way. But this side of heaven, God wants to transform me. The Bible uses the word sanctify me. He wants to make me new. But we comfort ourselves by ignoring it. And then when we see ourselves, we go, well, that's just the way I am. We use all kinds of excuses. All kinds of excuses of why you can't, why you won't. And we comfort ourselves being okay. It's okay to be broken, but son or daughter of the king, do you know this, that God wants to bring wholeness as you humbly follow him? And he wants to do it now. He cares about you holistically, your spiritual well-being and your eternity. But this side of heaven, he wants to transform his sons and daughters. But if you're afraid to look at yourself in the mirror, because you don't know what you're going to see or you don't want to deal with it. Jesus loves you so much that he died for your sins and grants you access into eternity. If he can do that, how much more can he do in all these other ways? But I'm stubborn. I lack humility. I lack ability to follow because I don't ask him for help. If you see yourself for who you really are and you understand the character and nature of God who is merciful, compassionate, and wants to bring holistic health to you today, then you bring the darkness into the light and say, God, help me. God, forgive me. God, enable me to obey you whatever the cost or the consequence, and watch how he brings wholeness, peace into your life one little bit at a time that you might look like him here on earth and bring his kingdom here on earth as it already is in heaven. Pray with me. Incredibly gracious and merciful are you, God, sovereign over all things, that you would notice the brokenness of this man and mercifully act and command his muscles to move again. You are all-powerful. You've done so much more than just heal a man, the muscles of a person. You have given your son to die that we might be healed spiritually, forgiven and reunited with you. You want to start in our spirit, and as you heal our spirit, you will also work to heal every part of us till one day we see you face to face and we are whole.
That is the promise of the gospel. So if there are people in the sound of my voice right now that have never put their trust in you, help them to know you love them, you care about them, and all they have to do is call out to you and say, I believe, and you will be merciful, and you will forgive, and you will place your spirit inside them to empower them to walk with you. God, for sons and daughters here who know things about ourselves, we know brokenness. We've been proud or unwilling to walk with you and change. Please convict us of our sin and our stubbornness. Remind us of how patient and gracious you are. Help us to follow you humbly to the end that we would know greater peace and greater wholeness. This is what you want to do in your children. We trust that you're strong enough to save us from our sins. Help us also to trust that you're strong enough to change us here in our relationships, in our lives. I pray all of this in the victorious name of Christ our Lord. Amen.